The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Today's episode has been made possible through the generous support of Bright Peak Financial, an award-winning not-for-profit supporting Christians on their journey to financial strength. Go to brightpeakfinancial.com to make your dream happen. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D., now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, and I want to thank all of you for listening with us today. I'm very glad that you have joined us, and I want to thank you also for uh, liking the Spirit of Recovery Facebook page and for posting on that page. Thank you also for sending me your emails and for letting me know what's happening for you in your spirituality and recovery walk, and thank you also for letting your friends and the people in your recovery community, your unity community, your other uh, friendship and spiritual community know about us here on Spirit of Recovery right here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. I am grateful to be broadcasting on the topic of recovery and spirituality, and I am very glad to know that what we're doing here is making a difference in your life, that my guests are touching your heart and opening your mind to new possibilities and new depths in your own spiritual growth and your recovery walk. Every week we talk about topics that are important to the recovery community with guests who are down-to-earth, knowledgeable, and innovative, people who are either in recovery themselves or who work with or write for recovering people, or sometimes all of the above, and they're bringing you practical information that you can use in lively discussions that get you thinking. You know, you can listen to us here on Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. You can listen, obviously, via your computer, via your smartphone. You can listen uh, by going to Stitcher.com and downloading their app and searching for Spirit of Recovery. Also, if you have an Alexa-enabled device, that's A-L-E-X-A, an Alexa-enabled device, you can ask it to play Unity Online Radio, and you can tune in that way. Also, you can listen uh, on demand. We've got several years' worth of great archived programs, and you just go to unityonlineradio.org slash program slash spirit of recovery, and you can find a variety of uh, really interesting topics about recovery and spirituality, great guests and that are really sharing their heart and sharing what they know and sharing what they've experienced, and it will be a, a really great blessing for you. I want you to know that Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place, and if you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction, or if you're the family member or friend of somebody that has the disease of addiction, and uh, perhaps you might even be in recovery yourself as a family member, because family members also can be in their own recovery, and there are recovery programs for family members. 
or whether you're just curious about the disease of addiction, you just want to learn more about that process, about the process of recovery, whoever you are, whyever you're listening, just know that you're welcome. I'm very glad that you're here, and you are welcome to participate. If you have a question or a comment for my guest, you can email that in or call in, and we'd be happy to address that. I want you to... Um, Know also that um, we are just, uh, again, have a great program today, as we always do, and I know you're going to be inspired and get a lot out of it. I want you to also know that if you would like to support um, Unity Online Radio financially, it's a nonprofit venture. It's got lots of great programs uh, here through UnityOnlineRadio.org, lots of programs on very positive and constructive spirituality. If you like uh, Spirit of Recovery or any of the other programs you hear, please, uh, if you consider making a financial donation that supports this nonprofit radio station, and you can do that by texting Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone, and you can make a one-time or a recurring gift. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a Unity minister and also an addictions counselor, and I'm a person who has in my own circle of love and friendship many people with the disease of addiction. And 35 years ago, those relationships were a catalyst that got me started on an active path of personal growth and spiritual development. And my walk continues to be an integration of unity and recovery principles, and that keeps transforming my life and keeps me growing in deeper ways. So I am delighted. I'm grateful to have the opportunity to share these ideas about spirituality and recovery with you and to hear what you're experiencing in your spirituality and recovery walk. Today, our program is A Life with Hope. Recovery through Marijuana Anonymous. Marijuana Anonymous is a fellowship of people who share experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from marijuana addiction. And Marijuana Anonymous, or MA, um, is based in the 12 steps adapted from Alcoholics Anonymous. And the MA program supports growth through spiritual house cleaning, which cultivates self-awareness, a growing relationship with one's higher power and freedom from fear. And uh, Marijuana Anonymous is uh, different from other 12-step programs in that it specifically addresses recovery from marijuana addiction. And the meetings are places, uh, as provide a place where pot smokers, dabbers, vapors, and bakers can relate their unique and shared experiences and embark upon a spiritual program of recovery through the 12 steps. My guest today is Rick, who is an MA member in long-term recovery. And today he's going to be sharing with us some of his experiences of his addiction to marijuana and also the process um, and the gifts of his recovery. So I'm really excited um, to hear what uh, Rick is going to share with us today because he's um, got a lot of great wisdom and a lot of great experience that he's going to be sharing with us. I want you to know also that uh, you can learn more about the Marijuana Anonymous program at their website. It's www.marijuana-anonymous.org. That's marijuana-anonymous.org, and there's lots of great information um, and meeting listings and all kind of things on that website. So, Rick, welcome to Spirit of Recovery. Hi, Anna. Thank you so much. This is a, a wonderful opportunity and, and an honor as well. Um, you know, as you mentioned, uh, as a member of Marijuana Anonymous, um, the as, as a lot of your listeners may know, um, it is a spiritual program of recovery. Um, you know, I don't happen to come from a background where my family was particularly uh, religious, and 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 I I am going to share a little bit about that that process of of coming uh, to a place where I can feel comfortable uh, talking about my existence as a spiritual one, um, and and what I've done in the program and my experience before, what led me to want to. Uh, you know, participate in something like a 12-step program. Uh, before before I do that, I think it's fair to say that, you know, as a member of Marijuana Anonymous, I'm not a representative uh, insofar as 
I'm not a professional in the organization. I'm not paid to speak for. No one's asked me to speak for the organization. And, and insofar as what I share here, you know, it's mostly just based on or only based on my own experience. You know, that being mm-hmm. said, I've, I've done some service over the years uh, within Marijuana Anonymous, and I'm aware of, of, of how things function a little bit. And insofar as I've had some exposure to folks in the medical community, you know, if I talk about addiction uh, from my understanding, um, and I and I say, well, this is what I think addiction means. Uh, it's I just wanted to be clear that like that's that's my experience and my understanding uh, from what I've gleaned over time, and not necessarily the definition of of addiction uh, that that Marijuana Anonymous, uh, the fellowship has. One of the things in terms of our traditions, uh, among among many of them, you know, um, I don't give my last name. You're not going to see my picture. Um, but I also, I don't, I don't necessarily, I wanted to be clear that it, things that I talk about are my experience and not necessarily, uh, to reflect on the entire fellowship. Um, okay. that being said, if questions come up during our, our conversation, uh, about medicalization and legalization, um, I have a point of view, uh, but, uh, you're going to find that it, it's actually going to be devoid of, of my opinion about what should happen with with those issues that are uh, not related to my own recovery. Um, but okay. I do have observations about, you know, how folks are, are coming into the meetings and what I'm observing over time. So Okay, that's great, yeah. And and I know that we'll get to that because that, that's kind of a part of it. As, as we know, marijuana is a controversial topic. And so um, thank yep. you. I appreciate, Rick, that you're making that distinction. As we all know, in, in any 12-step program, when anybody's sharing, uh, they are, as you've already said, uh, only sharing their own experience, and nobody ever is authorized to speak for a fellowship. So uh, appreciate you clarifying that. And, and that also gives you a lot of freedom to, to share with us about your experience and and sure. about who you are, and, and I know that's really helpful to people. So, tell us how did you um, how did you get into the experience of of marijuana addiction? What how did that happen in your life? Sure, you know, um, I think as as I mentioned about like defining addiction, you know, as I understand it, there's certain markers, and I think I had several of them. I didn't come from an extreme uh, kind of abuse background, um, but there was what I now understand as abuse. You know, over over time, as as I write and share and and listen uh, in in my working of the program, my my understanding of what happened is has evolved. You know, mm-hmm. so when I first got to the program, you know, in answer to this question, I would say, "Well, my parents messed me up." And then, and then later on, you know, having done some inventory, I'd say, well, you know, marijuana messed me up and my behavior messed me up. And then later on, it's, it's more like, you know, well, I'm a human being and I've been affected by these things and I have addiction. And mm-hmm. this is how I'm working uh, through that. And then later on, I can say, well, I'm grateful that I've had all of those influences and today I can help people, you know, that, so that my definition of what it was to be honest had evolved, uh, courageous or humble it, over time. Um, in fact, I was just sharing about this last night. And so what I want to say before I start talking about any early childhood stuff and what was going on is that I may speak from a point of view of, of where I was at that time. And, and so my understanding and the way I would reflect on, what was going on with my mom and my dad and my stepdad um, and my experience then, uh, the way I would, um, you know, analyze that or, or reflect on it is different today. But I think it's important to, to kind of lead with, hey, you know, I, I, uh, you know, here's a little bit of my story. When, when I was five, my, my mother and father divorced. Uh, he was uh, a Puerto Rican man from from Puerto Rico, met my mother at uh, a, a nightclub in New York where they work together. She's from a Jewish family. Um, in terms of culture, you know, it was a difficult gap for them, for those mm-hmm. two individuals to bridge, and they did the best they could. But uh, I think from from where my mother was at, she uh, she was 
probably maybe doing some kind of uh, escape behavior from within the family to go do something that uh, to be with this particular man probably wasn't what the family would have wanted, right? And mm-hmm. so they're, they're divorced. I had an older brother uh, that, that during the marriage, so I've got an older brother and then myself. And when I was five, they divorced. My mother did very well to not speak uh, negatively about my dad, to let me develop my own um, understanding of who he was and develop my own relationship with him up to a certain age. And what I found even in, in early years that I couldn't put words to was that he was emotionally unavailable. He was rather mercurial. Um, and he had a tendency to um, share about how hard his life was and an expectation that, you know, us kids, we would get a sense of, of what it is to be a man. And, um, but there wasn't that voice of encouragement or, uh, the kind of support, you know, if, if, for example, I'm in Cub Scouts or, or I'm doing arts and crafts as a kid, there wasn't that voice of, you know, you're doing good. It was, it was more judgmental, like, you know, I don't know about what this kid's all about, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So on, on my mom's side, she was doing the best she could, I think, to protect us from mercurial, uh, angry, you know, uh, an unsafe environment. Uh, with regard to my dad. And then same thing came on when, when my stepdad came on board, I was seven and he was um, in a lot of ways, a wonderful influence in terms of how he served my mother, uh, my father, not so much. Um, his Latino machismo male did not align well at all with my mother's educated Jewish family upbringing. Um, and so my stepdad, she and, and he had both met in, in doing uh, government work and they'd had some history together as friends. And so when he moved in, it was more a matter of, uh, it was supposed to be a short term thing. And uh, he ended up staying. And when I was seven, I had by that point had a couple of years of not being in this marriage that was in distress. Um, and I, I, I can have some memories of having fun and joy and being free and doing what kids do, you know, running around making noise. I have some of those, uh, some of those memories are intact. Um, when my stepdad came on board, it was really a matter of, uh, you know, children are to be seen and not heard kind of household. And he, he had, uh, you know, an inability to connect uh, with most people. Um, he was extremely intelligent and, and full of expectations and angry. And so, now I say I want to I want to reiterate what I said before is that I'm describing the circumstances of of what I was affected by and I've come to understand the man and and my father and my mother completely differently today. But what was going on was it wasn't safe to be a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother would say things like, you know, when you guys are older, Jim will treat you better, you know, mm-hmm. and and I think she was doing her best to deal with. Um, difficult circumstances. Um, I went through a phase in early recovery where I was just terribly angry at her and I didn't understand that. Neither did she, but you know, we've since worked that out. Um, so by eight years old, I was already going to and from Puerto Rico. So when they divorced, I was, uh, first in Oklahoma city and my mom's career took her to California and we moved to different places in California. But during those early years from, you know, seven or eight years old through my teens, I would take a month in Puerto Rico for the summer. And so I'd have that experience of going back and forth and getting that influence from my father of, of saying, you know, your mother is this, she's that, she's the other thing. As I'd mentioned, my, my mother didn't really talk, uh, try to put him in a, in a bad light for us. The opposite occurred when we went there. And I got to experience, uh, you know, the, a different culture that I didn't belong in. Um, I didn't feel like uh, I didn't keep my Spanish. So I, when I visit Puerto Rico, I was like the, the son that my father was proud to pat on the head and have his coworkers pat on the head as he would go about doing business and bring me with him. And, um, but, you know, coming back each time, I'd have that experience of, of judging uh, the differences. And um, at one point, I even told my father, you know, I don't, 
I don't think I love you anymore, or I don't think I love you. And there was so much uh, angst uh, between all of us, all the family members, between me and my brother, there was a fair amount of, um, we, we were more than just brothers who fought. There was a little bit more. It was, there was some abuse there. And, um, and so by the time I was eight or nine years old, part of all of that experience where substances start to come on board mm-hmm. is I would visit Puerto Rico and attend the party because there's a lot of partying going on, a lot of drinking going on. Um, and I'd be the kid and, and I could, I could sneak around and I'd go to the cooler and they had these little half size bottles of, of beer, you know, and, and I would occasionally get hard alcohol. And so at a very early age, I saw adults doing that and I wanted to do it. And I just described a whole lot of discomfort, a whole lot of dysfunction. And so for me to be able to be in that uncomfortable situation, put some alcohol in my system Act like, you know, I'm a grown-up, for one. You know, kids kind of want to model. But for me to be able to do that and go, oh, wow, this is fun. I don't have to feel all these feelings. And, and I don't know that that happens for everybody. But for me, you know, when I hear the alcoholic uh, story from AA, um, even though I never drank to hit the bottom that is so common, right, I, I, I didn't lose the house, the wife, the car, the job. Because in MA, we kind of have a joke about that at our bottom. We never got the thing to lose. So Uh there was no evidence (laughs) of that kind of bottom. But even though I don't relate to the way uh, an alcoholic maybe hit a bottom, I relate to the first drink. I relate Uh to how when I put something out from outside on board to change how I feel, how well it works. I really, really relate to that. And so I got that experience at, at eight years old. and then. Eight, nine, ten. That was just Puerto Rico, and then ten, eleven, twelve. I'm coming back home from that experience, and I started raiding the liquor cabinet. And the way I would do it is, I'd, uh, you know, I'd put a little, a few drops or a half an ounce, maybe from several different bottles, and I'd mix that together and toss it back. And so, what was I after? Right? Um, I really wasn't happy within myself. What I understand a little bit about all of that family dynamic. Um, my stepdad's uh, controlling through fear and intimidation. He was a very large man and also mercurial. And, you know, I had to put feelers out through the wall, like what, what's going on with him? The whole family did that, you know. Um, if, you, if, you, if anyone is ever in Al-Anon or, or in a program like ACA, Adult Children and Alcoholics and Other Dysfunction, we understand from that model um, what it is to be hypervigilant and what it is to... Uh, be people-pleasing, and, you know, these are skills we learn to survive. And so I didn't know that at that age, but what I found is if I could put something on board and drink or smoke, and by the time I was 12 is when I started smoking, um, I got some relief from that, and I got some sense of control. Like, everything is up to them as a kid. Their mood, where they're taking you, how they're spanking you, how they're yelling at you, right? Everything is up to them. What What's the outcome? It's up to them. But by myself, if I got loaded, I had some sense, like, I can put that away and I can just kind of wobble my head around and feel a buzz, you know. It was wonderful. And so I would get get no consequences because I didn't get caught. Now, I want to say that is that at some point I got caught with smoking pot and there's consequences later, but they, they weren't what I would do as a parent. If I, if I had a child who I, I found out was smoking. Um, but what I mean by not having consequences is there wasn't really a system in place. Uh, uh, there wasn't a foundation of understanding and knowledge. There wasn't a foundation of our son has a problem. Let's, let's figure out together what we can do to help. It's a matter of do this or don't do that. So it's kind of an authoritarian uh, place. My mom, for her part, was very nurturing, guiding, kind. She was also the person to say, look it up, if I'm asking a definition for a word. So she has that education. And so I'm grateful for that. But at the same time, she had no tools to protect me or guide me through the experience I was having. And so (laughs) my best friend when I was 12 years old was pot. 
I discovered it. Uh, my incidentally, you know, it's worth mentioning that that uh, my mom and stepdad smoked at home. Um, they had a way about it. It's kind of an after work kind of thing. Uh, we're adults, um, you know, but there was they didn't think that we would start. I would start at twelve years old. That was just she couldn't fathom that, right? Um, and my my bro- my brother at the time uh, when I was nine, he was twelve. That's when he started. Um, his addiction escalated into heroin use. Um, and it, it happened fairly quickly, I would say. I'm thinking probably 15, 16 years old uh, is maybe when he started. It might have been later. I don't really know. Um, you know, I know for a fact that by the time he was 19, he was using but heroin. But, uh, and, and that had its own aspect in my story. But at 12 years old, I had already had modeled for me um, addictive behavior, uh, avoiding behavior, controlling, manipulation, uh, anger, that it's not okay to express uh, feelings. And so no example of how to process when, when, when bad things happen or when good things happen, right? So 12, 13, 14 at that age and in school and in, in California where I was, it was easy for me to get pot. But before I got it out there, I got it at home. I stole it. Mm-hmm. So my brother had a way of getting it from my stepdad. And he showed me how to, the, booby, the, the briefcase was booby trapped, you know, and we were being watched. You know, it was like if, if you move something a certain way while you're trying to go after his stash, he's going to know. And uh, he, my brother taught me this and how to not set off the booby trap or reset it. It was a very interesting uh, little aspect of, of our uh, upbringing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I learned how to do that. And so I'm getting it from him and I'm getting it from my older brother's friends. And um, my brother tried to protect me to keep me from having that experience. But ultimately, once once the door was open, it was open and we would do whatever. Um, but, you know, I saw my brother as like... Uh, any teenager might, you know, see the guy like in Risky Business, Tom Cruise's, Tom Cruise's mm-hmm. character. He was gregarious. He was outgoing. He had his buddies working for him. I wanted, I wanted that for me. Um, but I was 12 years old. I had no coping mechanisms for working with people. And um, so when my brother was very much outgoing, I was much more introverted. Um, I, I had to compete for attention in the, the family dynamic with the way things were. So... You know, I did the best I could, and my, my helper was pot. Mm-hmm. Alcohol, when I tried it, um, when I tried doing enough to get me the kind of escape from the feelings, um, the consequences at that age, I'd gotten really sick one time and, and had some con- some behaviors and consequences at a party at, at age, you know, 13 maybe, that were extremely embarrassing. And, like, uh, I was told if I, if I go back to that place, they're going to kill you. You know, don't go back and don't try to get your bicycle, which I'd left there. Um, so, you know, between that and uh, the fact that pot was kind of culturally okay in my own household and that it worked so well for me, I just kind of made that switch. It was more available. I could get it from friends. I could get it on the street. I didn't have to find a grown-up to buy it for me, you know. So we were locked in. Me, me and my good friend, Marijuana, were locked in. Uh, from 12 on. And mm-hmm. that's kind of how I started, you know, and it was the best solution for for my makeup, you know, the type of person and, and uh, the environment that I came in. Right. That's sort of, um, I think... Something that uh, most people that have the disease of addiction will reflect on is that when they first begin to use that the substance is not a problem, it's the solution. It's only after to the, all the things you're, type of things you're saying, a feeling of disconnection or uh, mm-hmm. not having appropriate control in your own life. But it's only later, obviously, when different consequences start happening. Then it starts to be, oh, it's not – my solution's now turned into the problem. And that can be pretty right. – Pretty discouraging. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's you know, time for our break. Um, okay. So 
Listeners, stay with us. Our topic today is a life with hope, recovery through Marijuana Anonymous. And my, it's a, and Marijuana Anonymous is a 12 step program, a fellowship of people who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may recover from marijuana addiction. And my guest is Rick. He's a person in long term recovery, an MA member. And he's sharing with us today his experience of addiction to marijuana and his recovery process and the gifts from that. So stay with us. We'll be right back on Spirit of Recovery. If Unity Online Radio has helped you grow spiritually through programs like this one, please consider supporting this online radio programming. Visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you for helping us continue to serve as the voice of an awakening world. So there I was, staring at a closet overflowing with clothes, practically bursting at the seams in their polyester prison. I had ten minutes left to get dressed, and the stress was kicking in. Are turtlenecks still a thing? What about rhinestones? Where did I get this? Oh, my leggings from 1987. Ah, the scarves are attacking me. Sound familiar? Declutter your life and your closet with the Simple Living Challenge. It's a free 14-day challenge with powerful daily assignments to help you find more balance, freedom, and joy in life. Just go to simplelivingchallenge.com to sign up. Ooh, a cowboy hat. We are all on the journey together. Making sense of this life, finding our spirituality, growing and evolving. As we travel through this world, Unity Magazine is your resource for gaining a deeper understanding of life. Unity Magazine is on the forefront of spiritual discovery, with articles and features from leading authors, teachers, and philosophers. Stimulate your thinking and strengthen your spirituality with Unity Magazine. Sample a free trial issue or subscribe today at unitymagazine.org. Thanks for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share, Call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. Uh, if you're just joining us, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. And our topic today is a life with hope, recovery through marijuana anonymous. And we're uh, my guest is Rick, and he is a person in long-term recovery. He's sharing with us about his experience of addiction to marijuana, and also the process and the gift of his recovery. And uh, you can learn more about the Marijuana Anonymous program by going to www.marijuana-anonymous.org, and you can learn about that 12-step fellowship. Before I get back to my conversation with Rick, I'd like to invite you to join me in a brief moment of meditation, the Serenity Minute. So I invite you to relax, to be aware of that presence of your higher power as you define it with you there. And I invite you to uh, take a breath, to be aware of your breathing and allow it to relax you from the crown of your head all the way through your body temple. Allow your mind and your heart to open. And share with me this constructive idea. I belong. I am essential and needed in this wonderful universe. I belong. I am essential and needed and a part of in this wonderful universe. So we'll take a moment now in the quiet.
Thank you, friends, for joining me in the Serenity Minute. And I trust that that was an opportunity for you to relax, to open up to that presence of your higher power as you understand it, and to uh, feel that sense of belonging. And now I'm back to my conversation with my guest, Rick. And again, Rick is a, a member of Marijuana Anonymous. He's in long-term recovery, and he's sharing with us about his experience in recovery. So, Rick, before the break, you shared with us um, about your history, about your childhood history, and and that sense of, of uh, disconnection, that sense of maybe not, not having appropriate control in your own life, and that when you uh, started smoking marijuana, it was like, oh, that was the thing that helped you to maybe not feel the pain, of the emotional pain of, of your life and, and also to have some kind of sense that you could have some control in your life. So when you – so as life went – and then we talked about, you know, again, sometimes when people uh, do start using a substance, it's the solution, but it can turn into the problem. So mm-hmm. how did you realize, start to realize that that marijuana was becoming a problem for you? Sure. You know, um, at that age, 12, 13, 14, um, there were definitely consequences building up, but they were all kind of internal. Um, external might have been, you might have noticed the grades slipping, uh, falling asleep in class, um, this kind of stuff. But the the fact that I was using to kind of control or stuff my feelings um, a lot of people say, and it, and my age group, and and even today, um, you know, twenty years later, thirty years later, people people have the idea that uh, marijuana helps us connect with each other. It makes us more peaceful. It makes us, you know, but really, as I understand its effect on my brain, was that it made me unable to read people as well. Um, I, I certainly couldn't connect with myself um, the way it affected my brain and. Um, there's, I've read some good information about that that's available now, you know, scientifically defensible data that is publicly available. It's out there. Um, but, uh, at the time I didn't really learn how to get along in the world, right? I didn't learn how to deal with a difficult situation, how to, how to contend with rejection or strong feelings for someone, um, and I think in developing years, uh, you know, it's really critical that we're present for that process. Uh, my brain was still developing, and um, and w- another factor for me was that I was moving from place to place. So I really not only was, uh, you know, sh- not shown how to connect, I was disconnecting, and I was, I was relocating. And so mm-hmm. that set in motion a pattern for me that um, the way – you know, literally at a certain age, I remember moving to a neighborhood, deciding I didn't like it, and asking mom, hey, when are we going to move again? That just gives you an idea of, of what my coping mechanisms were. So so that's the beginning of, of some consequences that if somebody had uh, interviewed me about it then, they might have figured out this kid is not okay. Um, pushing forward a few years, you know, I had some success as as a trumpet player, um, I really uh, felt that that was my life's purpose uh, from the age of 10 when I started. And by the time I was done with high school, um, I wasn't willing to apply to a school. Um, I had the, the backing from a private instructor that let me know I could go anywhere I wanted to go to school. If we just make the tape, I had the, the support of my father who would have done that, even though he didn't necessarily agree that that was a smart move. Um, and, and I chose not to do it. And so 17, 18, 19 was um, quite the bottom for me because the the success that I found in music, uh, being the person who basically shut everybody else out, if, if you didn't get high with me, there was really not much for us to talk about. And if uh, And if it wasn't related to music, which was the only thing that, you know, I, I did so much physical practice, um, that was cool, but I, did, I stopped doing homework. And so academics went by the wayside. My brain just wasn't going to do the acrobatics anymore. Uh, and I, and because of how much I was using. Um, so I really didn't see any other avenue for me to, to progress in my life. And when I made those decisions to not make the tape and go to school, 
um, I, I went, I suffered some serious depression. So flash forward, you know, I end up going to school in Puerto Rico to take business classes of all things uh, in an effort to please my father um, because I had nowhere else to go. I mean, I'd lived other places and I had ideas about what else I was going to do, but I really felt incapable of making decisions. Um, incidentally, there's a, there's, there's study on that soon. Um, it's actually already on our website. There's a, one of our pamphlets about marijuana addiction, um, by Dr. Uh, Marvin D. Seppala. Uh, he mm-hmm. writes about, uh, he's from Hazelden, Hazelden Betty Ford. He's their medical correct, director. Yes. Mm-hmm. He's yeah, their he medical director of Hazelden Betty Ford. That's right. Marvin is. That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so what does he say? And, well, he, among the things he writes about is it, marijuana's impact on the brain, specifically the areas having to do with the ability to make decisions. And, um, right. and so I was severely impacted. I, I started at a young age, uh, and by the time I was in my 20s and finishing this, this, this business degree, I'd just gotten further and further depressed, and I had, I had depression and anxiety and shame, and really I was desperate. But I had no definition for what I was discovering, you know, uh, for what I was experiencing. I didn't have anyone saying you might, you know, folks would say cut back or you might have a problem with pot. But there wasn't anything that said anything about there's a solution for this. Mm-hmm. It was always on me. It's always on, on, on the individual, you know, without a support, a supporting environment that says, you know, you're okay. You happen to have this thing called addiction and there's a solution. I was just spinning out. And so I had hit a lot of different bottoms where I think it had, I had something to reach out to. I had, I known that MA existed. I might've, I might've picked up and decided, okay, I'll try something new. How did you find MA? How did you find it? Yeah, that's exactly where I'm at here is in, in 99, I moved from Puerto Rico to Portland, Oregon. Um, I, di- I did that because my mom lived here. And again, I, I really had no plans after high, after college, nowhere to go. So I came here and I was on the floor of her, her apartment for a while. Um, and I sought a counselor out. And it was because that counselor had heard about marijuana, Dex, and marijuana anonymous. And because I was honestly describing, this is a really big thing. For someone in my position at that age, Honestly, describing what I was going through was was almost impossible. Like I couldn't see that marijuana was the problem, and if it was, since marijuana is not addicting, according to me, right? Mm-hmm. Then it's, how could it be a problem, right? Mm-hmm. I couldn't connect the dots, and mm-hmm. I see it over and over and over again. And, and folks in coming in meetings, literally, it's well, I may have maybe a problem. The cops stopped me. I don't really know. I'm going to find out, you know? And so at that age, she, I just honestly described what I was experiencing and she knew about marijuana. And that mm-hmm. was the, that was the linchpin right there. So I started going to meetings. Um, I'm in my mid twenties at that age. And, you know, I, for the first time in my life, I found a place where I could talk about my experience and be accepted and, and get the feedback that there's hope. Like, the other people in the room had managed to not use. I tried quitting so many times. I tried uh, all the things that you might read in our literature, you know, throwing away my stash, hiding it, giving it away, flushing it down the toilet. I tried all of those things to try to quit, you know. Um, So by the time I, I started coming to meetings, what I was ready for at that time was to cry and blame my family. That's, that's all I, that's what I had for my truth. I'm miserable and it's their fault. Um, and you know what? That was good enough. I was welcome, right? Because I had the desire to stop using marijuana. Um, I did try out other fellowships, AA and NA. And primarily I did that because the work that I was doing at the time and my early uh, attempts at recovery, I say attempts at recovery because I didn't start working a program. It took me a couple of years. I relapsed, you know, so I mm-hmm. came in 1999, but my, my sobriety is only 13 years, not 16 years at this point. So, but 
in those first few years, the work that I was doing didn't allow me to go to as many MA meetings as I needed for my own support. And so I would go to an AA meeting or an NA meeting. And, you know, the way I describe that, that experience today is, you know, what I needed was to be able to share about my experience and, and to, be, to feel safe to do that. Because uh, for whatever, my background, um, anybody who was going to judge me or come down on me in any way, even, even if they didn't intend to and I was going to perceive it that way, coming from what I came from, I needed unconditional acceptance. And in the early days of me trying to go to another fellowship, I didn't know anything about recovery. And so if I shared about um, marijuana in one AA meeting versus another, because I don't know. I don't know anything about traditions. I don't know anything about the program. I got some feedback, you know. Um, in, an a, in an NA meeting, the feedback was, what do you need an MA program for? You know, and then I'd go to an NA and I don't relate to what I'm hearing. So I was very fragile, you know. And uh, fortunately, over time, I got some encouragement and and I decided for my own recovery that I, I wanted to hear all kinds of stories. And so I consider myself a member of several fellowships. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm finding over time that, that it's the individual that said that to me, not the AA program. Right. Not the NA program didn't say that to me. Um, didn't make me feel unwelcome. It was, it was an individual, right? Mm-hmm. And so one thing I really like about the MA program is that, you know, we have, we have folks with, 20 years in AA who didn't quit smoking pot sometimes or who relapsed and they relapsed on pot, which was their first drug come into MA with all kinds of recovery experience, but haven't recognized the disease of addiction and how it's manifest. It's so interesting to see that when it happens, mm-hmm. you know, so I, for myself, I think that uh, obsessive compulsive behavior um, finding something that makes me feel good and just doing it until it doesn't feel good or doesn't work. It just doesn't really matter, right? right. But for the sake of singleness of purpose, I, in, when I'm sharing about my experience in a meeting, I, I stick to marijuana out of respect for that. Nowadays, I can go to an AA meeting, and even though I didn't drink like they did, I can talk about how I work the steps. Mm-hmm. Um, I can talk about my feelings of disconnection and what I need to do. Or my feelings of shame, and what do I need to do? Um, and so I, I try not to focus on the substance when I go to just about any meeting. And I think that um, there's there's a time and a place for that. You know, in MA, if there's a bunch of newcomers in the room, I'm absolutely going to talk about how I smoke pot. Right. I, you know, I needed I needed to know that I could relate when I came in. So. Um, and so how do you find those, spirituality through this? Um, like you're saying, yeah. it's true that the way people, we're all compulsive may be a little different, but the solution's the same. <laughs> so how did you find... Absolutely. Yeah. Your spirituality. How did I find... Yep. I'm sorry, did you have a question? Yeah, your spirituality, because at the beginning of our talk today, you said that you're, you'd been raised in a home that really wasn't very oriented towards spirituality, but that you had found that, I believe, through your recovery. So yeah. what does that look I, like for you? Um, well, today, just in the reflection of, of, of our steps, right, we have um, – it depends who you ask, like, what's the spiritual principle of this step? And you go to another program, what's the spiritual principle of that step? But the idea that I was going to want to be an honest, open-minded, willing person, that I would want to have humility as a foundational principle of, you know, how am I going to interact with the world? The idea that I would want to have that was foreign to me when I came in. And so my spiritual growth has gone from the honesty of they fucked me up, it's their fault, and I'm miserable, which was my pre-first step share. Mm-hmm. My, on, my, 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 my living of that, my understanding of that spiritual principle um, has evolved from that to 
I'm a human being, I'm doing the best I can, and I have all this love and support available to me, and I'm so grateful. Mm -hmm. That's just this huge evolution, right? And mm -hmm. this, this specifically how is quite literally, it's, I, I, I worked those steps, right? I did the writing that was suggested. It was like pulling teeth. It was like, pull, I didn't want to do it. Every avoidance, every rationalization, that was me, man. I relapsed. I switched sponsors, all of that stuff. What ended up happening was at some point I had enough um, hope, an experience that other people were doing it and they were getting something out of it. And it might actually work for me. So mm -hmm. when I'm sharing with someone who who's like me, because I came in cynical and, you know, an angry, suspicious. Anybody who ever said, God bless you, if I didn't sneeze, I was really suspicious of that person, right? They, they are not like me. And they're on some kind of high rolling trip, right? That was, that's what I came in with. So now I can be in a, a you know, a, a prayer circle and realize that what's going on here is people are, are doing their best to connect with their understanding of a higher power. And, and wouldn't you know it, you know, I have a understanding of a higher power. So early on, probably five years clean and sober, I had a particular sponsor who's walking me through um, a third step. Um, and, you know, in the second step, uh, we, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And in the third step, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God. I'd been around recovery for a while, and I didn't understand God. And, and, and I don't know that I ever will, and that's great, that's fine. But as we understood God at the time, okay, I didn't have that. I didn't, I, he said, well, you're going you're gonna to make a decision to turn your will and your life over to something, right? What would you want that thing to be? And uh, I did a really good inventory of, of what I wouldn't want it to be. And then I did another list of what I would want it to be. And then he said, you know, and this isn't for, for him to let me pass or not. This is for me to get an experience of open-mindedness, which is really a second step thing. Mm -hmm. And then he asked me to write, he said, you know, write your idea of what that higher power is. And I was still uh, very much not wanting to go to the white beard in the sky guy, okay? So what I wrote down was God is the source and the substrate of the principles of these steps. So in other words, we, some of us are maybe familiar with the idea if you want to have love, you give love. If you want to have respect, you give respect. You know, you can't demand love and you can't demand respect from the world. And you can't be seen as courageous unless you act with courage. You know, you, you take action in spite of fear. So what I decided was that my higher power was the source of these concepts and the substrate through which they work. It was a rather intellectual way of saying, I'm making a decision to turn my life over to keeping choosing. I'm going to keep choosing to live by these principles. And that's, that's what my... By that point, you know, five years in, what I was willing to do, what I'd evolved to having an idea of spirituality was, well, if I live a life by these spiritual principles, I'm doing the will of my higher power. And then the specifics of how to do that, it's, it's in my experience of practicing the steps. Right. How is your life different today, Rick, than it was, you know, 14 years ago or, or even before you got involved at all with MA. What's, how's it going for you today? Gosh, um, I'd say one, one sign of, of uh, something positive is, is that we're having this conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if I think back to uh, when I got here, um, it, you know, it's the same brain I have. It's the same past that I have. My perception of that has changed, that past. Um, but I'm able to uh, with some level of confidence, with some level of humility, come here and tell you what I'm all about. Um, 
that's that's huge, you know, because I can walk that walk in in my life, and so that affects my relationships, you know. To to be able to to be honest with somebody and not expect anything, you know, like every person I interacted with before um, was getting some version of myself that meant that, you know, if, if I can convince them of, of this, then I can get that. Um, and, you know, in terms of material and uh, relationships, you know, I've got a lot of friends today that when I got here, some of those friends are people that I despised when I got here. Um, and so my ability to understand people for who they are and respect them, uh, you know, of course, self-respect kind of had to come first, but, um, so I've got friends, I've got support, I've got trust, um, I've got respect, you know, and I get that in my working environment. I get to work with people one-on-one and in groups in what I do. Um, I get to, uh, be, uh, sometimes in my own office environment and sometimes in, 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 in other people's offices or their homes. So to, you know, and, and <laughs> this is funny. When I talked about the developing brain and how I know I was affected by understanding what, what chronic use can do to a developing brain, um, and that I, I described how I just academically felt like I couldn't do. I couldn't do the math that I used to be able to do two years before, you know, back then, from age 12 to age 14. You know, it was just, I, was, I was astonished and depressed by it, right? Mm-hmm. Well, today, I, I'm okay knowing that maybe I'm still affected by that. And, and uh, if so, I can choose to strengthen skills and I can choose to strengthen um, my character so that when I'm faced with something I'm not good at, I'm okay, you know? Uh, right. And that, that goes back to being honest. Right. We're almost at the end of our time here, but if, if you would be willing to take just a minute to uh, say, what do you see now when people coming into the program new? Because, again, I, we don't want to get in a big controversy about marijuana, but it is. It's a hot yeah. topic. So what do you see? Sure. You know, and I recognize, uh, you know, reading between the lines of your question, um, I, I, I live in a state where uh, marijuana is legal. Um, I live in a state that had medical marijuana prior to that. And um, the fellowship has had to concern itself with how to, how to welcome uh, someone who maybe doesn't even smoke pot, but vapes or waxes or, or what have you. Um, and we have, we have that internal dialogue going on with, you know, how to, how to be more inclusive. And over time, what, if, if anyone looks for studies about this, we'll see increasing numbers in treatment centers of, of people who are claiming to be marijuana primary or uh, people who um, were using, you know, other forms. And, uh, and, and in meetings, what, what I've witnessed over the years and more and more is um, there's more young folks coming in. In other words, for me, consequences didn't hit when I was 15 that, would get me to have the, the, the kind of response from parents or society or the kind of desperation that would have warranted putting me uh, in a treatment center. But that's not the case today, more and more because of the forms and the, the availability. So this is, an opi- this is not my opinion about, this is just an observation. I'm noticing that there are younger folks coming in more frequently. I'm noticing and I'm hearing stories about uh, conse- direct consequences of using, of eating, you know, edibles, medibles, um, that uh, I didn't have to contend with any of that. And so um, it's an interesting thing to, to have that happen. And, you know, we, we need to write more literature to respond to that for the sake of inclusivity so that those folks can relate, you know, because it's not, it's not the hippie generation, you know, where, you know, <laughs> Right, it's a Not different everybody day. Everybody rolls joints mm-hmm. anymore. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, it's a it's a different change. The situation's changed for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, our time is up, but 
Uh, Rick, I want to really thank you for uh, being my guest today and thank you for all that you have shared. Um, I've really learned some things and I know that you've, uh, that, you know, the things that you've shared about your experience and about your recovery and, um, how it works and, you know, the, the difference that it makes in your life has touched hearts and minds today. So I want to thank you and, uh, listeners again. Uh, Rick is a person in long-term recovery. He's a member of Marijuana Anonymous. And if you want to know more about that fellowship, look up www.marijuana-anonymous.org and you can find more about it. But, Rick, thank you so much for being my guest on Spirit of Recovery today. You've really blessed us. Thank you. And listeners, you have a great week, and we'll be back next week on Spirit of Recovery. Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org. We talk to the animals, and we know you can too. On the Animal Communication Podcast, hosted by the three of us, myself, Julie Heert, Aaron Debbie Smith, and Meredith Tollison, we will show you how to deepen your relationship with your beloved animal companions, whether they're alive or in spirit. As soul-level animal communicators, we explain the process and explore topics such as health, behavior, and play, all from the animal's perspective. So subscribe and follow us on Apple, Spotify, and listen as part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.